getting food. I love it. There's always a reason for people to get food. Um, I loved having Rio, Rochelle, and her team, her group, join us this morning. They bring so much energy and excitement. It's just awesome. And not only do they bring energy and excitement, but the friends they bring in, like the pews, are also bring energy and excitement. So I can hear you guys. I can totally hear you guys singing. And so I just, I just want to say a couple things about how we um, usually, you know, respond to the sermon. Um, typically, we're pretty quiet as a church. I know they've noticed that. Like the last, they've been here. Bria and Rochelle visited maybe a couple months ago. We're, we're pretty quiet as a church. Um, and I just, I just want to say a couple things about that. I, I appreciate that because I thought I know in a lot of church traditions, being quiet is like a form of respect. Um, <laughs> someone say yeah. <laughs> That was funny. Um, it is a form of respect, but I just want you to know we welcome children in our service, right? Like we don't have our minors ministry today, so they, they may make some noise. And we also have babies. Well, today we have nursery, but usually there's babies in service and the babies make noise. And then I know some of you sometimes have to get up and use the bathroom or are going out and eating bagels um, or eating bagels right now. Um, and so, and that's totally fine. I don't mind that at all. Um, but I just wanted to note that those those things that are happening don't have anything to do with what's being preached. And so if I, if I am okay with interruptions that have nothing to do with what's being preached, how much more so if you respond to something I say from the word of God and agree with it, am I gonna support that and encourage that, okay? And so if you, if you wanna say amen today, you can do that. You can do that. And if, and if that's, yes, yes, let's go. Yeah, you can, you can say that. You can say that today. And, and, if, and if that's, and if that's uncomfortable for you, if you um, just want to take a step of faith because your tradition is being very quiet, you can just go, amen, really quietly to yourself. And you're just practicing because we're all practicing. We're all learning here today, right? Um, and if you say it out loud and it's like the wrong time, I talked about like my dog or something like that, and you say amen, um, it's okay. It's okay. We're, we're practicing. We're learning. It's okay to make mistakes as we are growing together and learning how to respond, right? All right. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um, so, so today, it's going to be kind of an interesting message that goes with the energy and excitement. We're going to talk about the issue of suffering. Okay, we're in Romans 8. We're starting in Romans 8. We're resuming our journey through Romans, and we're going to talk about suffering, and we're going to talk about pain. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Suffering and pain. And so maybe my first question, because usually when we think about suffering and pain, we think about physical pain. And so my first question is, and, I, and some of my questions, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but in this case, I am. Who's afraid of getting a shot? Who's afraid of getting a shot? Thank you, you honest people, for getting a shot. I got it. Thank you. You don't have to keep your hands up. It's okay. That's, that's great. Um, I got a tetanus shot this week, and what I appreciated about the tetanus shot is they did it quickly. It was very quick. And they also asked me if I wanted to get the COVID shot, and I said no, because I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And <laughs> <laughs> I think one shot, I think one shot is enough. I think one shot was enough. And so I was scared. I'm just going to admit to you, I was scared about getting the shot. And I, I think what's interesting is that our culture is so afraid of physical pain. Like we work really hard to make sure that we don't experience physical pain. In fact, we have all kinds of anesthesia. We have local and regional and general, and you can get an anesthesia for any kind of procedure. And then after you're done, after you're done with the procedure, whether you saw the needle or not, and by the way, I did see the needle. It was really long. Like sometimes I'm really glad it was happened fast because um, they want to make sure you don't look at that needle, right? They make sure you kind of turn. Um, but after you're done with a procedure, you can also get medication. 
And so you have drugs like aspirin and ibuprofen, and then stronger ones. I know, I just couldn't say it. I, I, I'm going to stop. Um, it's going to get worse. Oxycodone, I think I said that right, hydrocodone, and fentanyl, all of which are opioids. Okay, and opioids are an epidemic today. And as of May of this year, we had 41 overdose, overdose deaths in Santa Clara County. And so this is a serious problem of how we handle pain and how we deal with pain. And like I said, our culture works really hard so that you either avoid it at all costs or we do something to medicate it so you don't have to experience it. And so I just want you to kind of think about that as we go through this text today. And we're, we're in chapter 8, and, and Paul has been writing to unite Jew and Gentile by faith. And a Gentile is someone who's not Jewish. And he's giving us an explanation of the power of the gospel. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. And so what he's been doing is he's been telling how God has intended relationship with us from the very beginning, but through time, we have corrupted that relationship due to the fall, due to this nature inside of us, this evil that compels us to do what's wrong and against God. And so every person, whether you're, whether you're Jewish or whether you're not Jewish, has a conscience and a law inside them that we fail to follow, that we do not abide by. And that's what he's been building. And so, but the good news is that Jesus has declared us righteous through faith in Jesus. And what that means is you have the status of his son. So there's a lot of kind of like legal imagery in the book of Romans about how he has declared us innocent. And not just innocent, but having the status, the, uh, the ability to do what's right. Um, and that's the great, that's the awesome thing about being a Christian is not only do you look righteous to God, but God has done a work inside you so that you actually are righteous. He's changed the inside of you so that you're no longer a slave to sin, a slave to evil, but that you have the ability and power to do what is right and good. And so now in, in chapter 8, no, you're great. Um, now in chapter 8, um, in chapter 8, now we're talking about there is therefore now no condemnation for those who have been set free. For those who live by the spirit of the law are now set free from the law of sin and death through the spirit of life, right? And so now we have the spirit of life coming into chapter 8. And so let me read verse 18 through 21. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to kind of step through these verses. I'm going to read chapter 8, 18 through 30 today. We're going to cover that. And, but I'm just going to step through the first couple verses here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That is a mouthful. Okay, there is a lot going on. And you know what? I just, because there's so much going on, it's so dense, I want to read it one more time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
Okay, so I'm going to, so first off, it, in the context of suffering, right? Verse 18 talks about, I consider that the sufferings of this present time. Throughout Romans, Paul has been building this argument about suffering. He's saying suffering, there's actually a meaning that you can experience in suffering, and yet suffering's normal. You should expect it to happen, and Paul himself is, going, is experiencing suffering for, for the sake of the gospel, whether it's being in prison, whether it's being beaten, whether it's being persecuted by Jews for preaching the gospel, for talking about Jesus Christ. And yet what he's saying is it's not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so let me just say a little bit about what glory is. What is glory? My definition of glory, and it kind of goes with what's said here, is that glory is a revealed worth, okay, a revealed worth. It can only be glory if you see it or experience it somehow. You have to experience it. So it's one of those things where you have to show it in order to, in order to understand it. Um, who, and I'll ask you to raise your hands, who has seen a shooting star? Who's seen a shooting star? Most of you, that's great. Um, my wife, I think just recently, I think she saw her first. Did you just see your first shooting star? Um, she just saw her first shooting star, and she's had many, many opportunities to see a shooting star, and the problem is she is, for, for whatever reason, not looking at the sky <laughs> or not looking at the place where the shooting star goes across the sky, and so whenever other people around her, like our, her family members, see it, we're like, hey, did you see that? Mom, did you see that? Or Jude, did you see that? She's like, no, I wasn't looking, and I'm always wondering, like, what were you... <laughs> What, is there, what else is there to look at when you're looking at stars? Um, but that's the point, is that glory is revealed. The only way you understand glory is that you, you have your attention on it. You can't help but notice it. It's like watching the, the glory, the beauty of a shooting star. That's revealed worth. And so whenever the Bible talks about glory, it talks about showcasing it, demonstrating it. It demands attention. And what Paul is saying here is that the sufferings of today are not worth comparing with the beauty that is to be revealed to us. And then he, and he says in verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Before I go into that, let me go to verse 20. So it, sometimes this helps just to keep reading. For the creation was subjected to futility. Okay, subjected to futility. And then it says in 21 that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. So there's two elements that are happening talking about creation. Number one is that it's subjected to futility. And number two, that it'll be, it'll be set free from its bondage to corruption. Now, when we talk about creation, we're talking about the natural order of the created universe, of this universe that we see. And what we understand is because of the fall of man, because of sin, because of evil in this world, the sin of humanity, creation is corrupt. Okay, and what do I mean by that? Well, we've seen the power of destructive fires in Maui. We have a storm that's coming into Southern California. Um, Glacier National Park is nowhere near what it was like 20, 30 years ago because the glaciers are receding and melting. And so one of the things that the law of entropy dictates is that as one goes forward in time, the net entropy, that's the degree of disorder of any isolated or closed system will always increase. That means we are headed, we are always headed without intervention towards some kind of chaos or disorder. And we see that in our natural world. See, without intervention, our natural systems descend into chaos and disorder. And we see that in the cycle of fires and earthquakes that we've experienced that cause havoc. And then the cycle just repeats itself. And that whole repeating itself, I think, is what it means when it says subjected to futility. Futility. And futility just means, very simply, a loss of purpose. 
It's what happens when you feel a loss of purpose. And so, you know, I've been talking about, you know, specific types of pain. I've talked about physical pain. We also have social pain in our world. And we also work very hard against social pain, right? We look, we have uh, dating apps that keep you from being rejected. And even when you don't want to talk to someone, you can just ghost them. So you don't have to give them the pain of rejection, right? So not only do we avoid physical pain, we also avoid social pain. But there's a final pain that I think is unavoidable in our culture, and I call that existential pain. Okay, that's a fancy word for the pain of feeling no purpose, the pain of futility. And so let me give an example, and this, this part I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for, but I just want to think of you, I just want you to think about it silently. Have you ever woken up and you're still tired? You open your eyes, you look around your same old room, the clothes on the floor, at least my, my room, uh, light peeking through your blinds, and you think to yourself, what is the point? What is the point? It's another pointless day in a pointless life. Have you ever gotten up in the morning and then not wanted to go to church? where you're just enjoying, you're hoping to enjoy a leisurely breakfast and you just want to hang out and you don't want to be rushed, but you know that you're supposed to go and you just feel afraid or embarrassed of showing up, of being disappointed, of being ashamed of yourself and experiencing guilt. And then, have you ever gotten up out of bed and gone to Sunday service or a life group on a weeknight and then after you get home, you're just exhausted? You're exhausted from the social awkwardness of the event. You're exhausted from the pointlessness of the sermon. You're exhausted by, by the music. You don't feel any less guilty, but there's this aching emptiness in you that just says, and that voice that says to you, what was the point? Now, last week I talked about a crisis of meaning I experienced as a fifth grader, and, but I just, but I, and it sounds like I don't experience that today, but I can answer yes to every one of these questions, and even fairly recently. And so if you have experienced the pain of feeling like your life doesn't have a purpose or doesn't have meaning, could you just know that's a type of futility? That's a pain of futility, of discomfort, that God understands, that Paul understands, that the creation is experiencing today. And so, you know, when we talk about glory, what God is saying here is there's actually a glory that's worth all of this suffering, even this existential discomfort, the pain of purpose, purposelessness. I got to try that again. Purposelessness in your life. I did it. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the bar is low today, guys. It's great. So creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And so there's a connection between our natural universe and our being revealed as sons of God, right? And when I say revealed, what it means is there is going to be a time in the future where God gives believers, followers of Jesus, a new body, along with a new heaven and a new earth. And we can look forward to that with great expectation. And in this next section, we're going to talk about what that looks like or a metaphor he has for it. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. 
and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And Paul here introduces the metaphor of childbirth. I just want to say childbirth is insane. It's totally insane. It's the most normal thing in the world, and yet there are supernatural elements all, over, all, all about it that are otherworldly. And Paul picks this metaphor because it is the only type of pain that is directly productive. It's the only physical pain that you can experience that has purpose. It's pain with purpose. And so Paul is saying that, you, that when you experience something like, when the creation is experiencing these uh, pains, these earthquakes and fires and disorder and chaos, that is a type of birth pain, a type of groaning that actually is productive because it is an eagerness and expectancy for new creation, for a new heaven and a new earth. And what I find fascinating here is that Paul mixes metaphors because not only does he talk about childbirth, but he's also saying that we await eagerly for our adoption as sons. Because the beauty of becoming a Christian is that not only do you experience new birth, but you are also adopted into the kingdom. You're adopted into the family of God. You are chosen by God the Father to be his son or daughter. And that is an awesome thing. And so even though our bodies are not perfect, even though they decay as we continue to live, even though the world around us is in chaos and disorder, what we are groaning towards is this perfecting of our bodies and what God is going to do because it affects everyone. And yet today, we get to look forward to expectantly to have that new body. And I, I sometimes, do you ever take a minute to imagine what that new body will be like, right? Do you ever take a minute to imagine that? Because I, I think about, well, we, number one, we could all have the same perfect body, but that would be, I don't know, maybe a little disappointing, right? Maybe a little disappointing if everyone was just kind of the same. Everyone would be gorgeous, but everyone could be the same. Or what I was also imagining, and again, this is imagining just kind of going outside the text, is what if you could have like, I don't know, you pick a year, the 28-year-old version of me that's like six feet tall and the smaller nose and my ears go back and um, heavier um, and more athletic, right? Like we all want like this perfected version of ourselves. But you can just take a minute and just imagine what that would be like to have that perfected body. And again, I don't know exactly what this means, but, but what God is saying here is you can look forward to expectantly for that. You can have an eager expectation. The groaning is meant for us to have a future hope because hope isn't something you can see. It's not something you have tangibly in front of you. Hope is something you cannot see, and you wait for it with patience. You know, Mike, uh, Elliot and I, I was going to say Micah, Elliot and I watched Shawshank Redemption recently. And in that movie, there's a hope of freedom. And the main character, Andy Dufresne, he's in prison, Shawshank prison, and he's constantly abused by this a gang of men, and life just becomes this routine, like it's pretty much pointless. His life is totally pointless. He has a crisis of purpose. And yet throughout the movie, there is a sense of hope that you don't get, you know, blatant, like screaming at you, but there's a sense of hope that Andy is motivated by a sense of hope that goes beyond the prison, 
that there's something about his life that is worth living for that goes beyond what the prison is about. And it's about freedom because he, because he eventually escapes. He eventually breaks out. Um, and what that freedom experience, that groaning that he's experiencing as he's in prison, that suffering, builds this anticipation to what that freedom is going to be like. And that is what this groaning is that we experience alongside creation. So let me go to verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now notice the term weakness in verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, because when you suffer, you feel weak. Weakness and suffering go together. They always go together. And the experience I have when I'm suffering, and then let's, again, the easiest example to think about is a physical pain. Like when I'm doing a difficult workout, I lose track of any type of reps, anything more than five repetitions I lose track of. I just can't, can't I can no longer count it. Because your brain just works kind of differently. You just have a different kind of awareness when you're working out really hard. And then you take non-physical pain like a pain of futility, like existential pain when you, when you, when you feel like, what's the point of life? And it's kind of a paralysis where you just don't want to do anything. And your mind just kind of circles around and around and around, the same, obsessing about what you're afraid of. And that's a different kind of pain, but also weakness. And our, our world has a couple strategies to deal with it. Number one, our world tries to distract you, right? I noticed that the nurse who gave me the shot, she made sure to talk about, she asked me how my summer was going before she put the needle in my arm to make sure I thought about something different right, that I couldn't focus on the pain. And then another kind of, uh, and the other type of way the world deals with pain is you're supposed to embrace it for self-improvement. I was talking to Caleb about this. David Goggins, he's an ultra marathoner, and he's all about embracing physical pain and pushing beyond your limits. But sometimes you just think about that, like, what's the point of pushing yourself? Because no, no one here is going to be David Goggins and do 4,000 pull-ups in 17 hours, or run 241 miles in 63 hours, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I know. It doesn't, it doesn't sound enjoyable, right? It doesn't sound enjoyable. And it doesn't, motivate, it doesn't motivate you. So embracing it or distracting you, those are not great options. But this is the option that the Spirit gives. This is the, this is the solution the Spirit gives us. It says, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Because when you're weak and you're suffering, you don't know what to say. You don't have the words to say. You can bear, I can barely keep count of something in my head when I'm working out and that kind of pain. For we do not know what to say, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I mean, that's what happens when I'm in physical pain. I'm just groaning. And the Spirit is alongside you, groaning with you. And there's a type of pain that we experience that it goes beyond what words say. It goes beyond it. And the Spirit himself is groaning with us that is too deep for words. And that intercession as well, what, what it means to intercede is a step in between. When God is stepping in between, okay, he steps in between us and our pain. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's stepping in between us and our pain. And he knows our hearts and he knows the mind of God and he wants us to do his will. He's helping us do his will to persevere, to persist. 
And so the sharing prompt today is where is the Holy Spirit speaking hope over you today? Where is the Holy Spirit speaking hope over you today? So I want you to think about areas where you have experienced pain or disappointment or a loss of meaning in your life. And it could be a relational loss. It could be work boredom. It could be having to start a new school year, right? All those different things. But in those places or pain, that may be a place where the Holy Spirit has been interceding for you, but you're not aware of it yet. You don't know it yet. And so would you ask him, could you, Spirit, could you show me where you are interceding for me in ways where I am just experiencing pain and I don't have the words to say? I may not even be aware of it. You can ask for the Spirit to lead you into truth. And then the other question is, what are you hopeful for in the final resurrection? And this is kind of an opportunity to just imagine a little bit. I talked about having a perfected body. You can imagine with me. Now I'm going to close reading 28 through 30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Now, this verse is often quoted all over. And I just want to give its context. This verse is talking about suffering. This verse is in a passage of suffering. And so what Paul is saying here when he says, for we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. He's talking about God uses suffering. And the way to understand this, and I heard this actually from my cousin, (laughs) who was not a Christian, but she has Christians in her life. And she was mentioning this. She says, I heard this thing, and this is kind of different about Christianity Something that God never wastes suffering. That God never wastes suffering. That if you're experiencing some kind of pain, it always has a purpose. It's always productive. It always produces something. And so in verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So there's, there's a bunch of different things here. There's four new, which God knows, knew you in advance. He predestined, he picked you, he chose you. He called you, he gave you a purpose. He justified you, he declared you innocent and righteous. And he glorified you, which means he manifests the beauty that you are as a son and daughter of the Most High King. That's who you are. And that's all that God accomplished in doing on your behalf. Everything God did. That's something Rio mentioned as she was praying. God did everything. He initiated with us. And Austin was reading the verses. God is the one who chose us at the beginning of time. He predestined us. He knew about you. And that's why you're adopted in him because he chose you. He picked you out. You know, you didn't come out and go, oh, wow, that's okay. No, he knew you. He knew you in advance. He knew you in advance. He chose you from the very beginning. And so you, you may live life with a freedom of choice, of, you, of having the experience that you get to make all of your decisions, but God had behind the scenes, when you back up, God has been all behind all of those because he picked you out and chose you for himself, and you have that assurance when you're suffering. And that's what Paul wants for us today is have that assurance of sonship that we are guarded and protected by him. So let me give you one final example or or image for how the Holy Spirit gives us assurance. I want to go back to verse 26, 
where the Holy Spirit groans for us. We just sent Micah off to college um, this past week. And um, of our four kids, Micah was the first where Judy tried natural childbirth. You know, for Caleb, he actually had a little bit of fentanyl during his, uh, during his labor. Judy did. So um, Judy came to, this conviction, came to this conviction before Micah was born that she would go natural. Um, and as I've read this passage, I'm like, wow, I could see how you could get to this conviction about um, pain with purpose. And so because this was the first, for her first time trying to do natural childbirth, we hired a doula. Who knows what a doula is? All right. Oh, wow. Okay. I had no idea what a doula was. A doula is a birth coach. A doula is a birth coach. And so, um, you know, a birth coach, she's present. She's usually a woman. It's usually a mother. It's someone who's experienced with childbirth. They're probably a little, most doulas are probably a little bit socially unconventional. I, I remember our doula, Maureen, um, I didn't go to her house, I think Judy did, but she had like birth art everywhere, um, like pictures of, I guess, childbirth. So um, I think that's a little weird, but this woman finds beauty. She sees the glory of God in childbirth. And so, um, you know, as Judy was in active labor, and really a contraction is like an earthquake in the body. And so when you first, when you have early labor, it's just like light earthquakes, right? That don't happen very often. But as you go into active labor, the earthquakes get stronger and stronger because your whole, a woman's body is preparing to give birth. And so when Judy was in active labor, what happened is she would stand in front of me with her head on my chest um, and her head would be boring into my chest and I would be like a human grip strengthener, right? Where she's just squeezing me with all her strength. And she's making groaning noises that I've never heard her make ever. Like, it's like this deep groaning from the pit of her stomach. And what I noticed as I was looking at Maureen, as Maureen was starting to get more and more excited. <laughs> She's getting excited. And she was cheering Judy on. She was, um, sh there was this calm and peace about her. And I was just panicking like crazy. I'm like, I don't know what is going on here. I'm just not going to say a word. I'm just going to try to stay as still as possible. And Judy is groaning louder and louder. And this woman is getting excited. Because you know what? This doula Maureen she could see what was on the other side. She could see the entrance of our son into this world. She knew what happened on the other side of pain. She could understand that. She had that experience, and she had that hope and certainty that on the other side of that pain is something good and wonderful coming into this world. You have the Holy Spirit, and he is the doula of your life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit is alongside you as you are groaning, and he may even groan with you. And he is cheering you on because he sees what is on the other side of the horizon and what it means for the sons of God to be revealed in the fullness of glory and a new heaven and a new earth. He sees the birth. And all we see on this side is groaning and pain. But the Holy Spirit, the doula, he sees all of it. He sees the whole thing. And he is cheering. He is cheering for us because he has that perspective. So today, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what it is you're experiencing in terms of futility, of purpose. I just know it's normal. It's good. In fact, if you're a Christian, you probably experience that even more intensely than your friends who don't know Jesus because you have an expectation for life to be meaningful. 
But pain with purpose is normative in the Christian life because God never wastes suffering. Romans 5.3 says, more than that, we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Let's pray together. Father God, would you teach us that in your economy, we can experience pain with purpose, that you never waste suffering. And so, Lord, we can look with eager expectation that you will reveal the sons and daughters of the Most High King in the final resurrection, that we will be raised up with you and given new bodies and a new heaven and a new earth. And so, Lord, for those of us suffering from a crisis of purpose today, from futility, Lord, would we recognize by faith that your spirit is alongside of us, groaning in our behalf with, with uh, prayers that are deeper than words. And so, Lord, would that bring us comfort and assurance and most of all hope that you love and care for us. We pray this in your name. Amen.